Hello, friends. Welcome back to Ordinary People and Extraordinary Lives. My name is Lance Bain. Great to have you with me again on another week of our podcast designed to help us experience the grace of God while living, leading, and overcoming life's everyday challenges. And it's a privilege to have you with me again. Love spending this time with you. To all of our regular listeners, welcome back. And to any new listeners, Hey, appreciate you taking this time to join us and and be a part of this podcast. And hopefully what we talk about today will add value to you and really equip you, inspire you, and, and even challenge you to give great leadership to your leadership environment. And my name is Lance Bain. You can learn more about me and check out many other resources that we've put together at LanceBain.com, L-A-N-C-E-B-A-N-E.com. Great to have you with me again. As I said earlier, I don't want to take for granted the time that you spend listening to this podcast. And if you're like me, you're probably listening to this podcast at one and a half speed, which is how I pretty much listen to most podcasts now and even videos I'm watching online. I love that. I love the playback speed option. Do you love that? Do you utilize that? I utilize it almost everything except a movie. I can't quite figure out why you would playback speed a Netflix movie faster, but maybe there's a reason for it. I haven't quite figured out yet. But nonetheless, here we are together again, and I really appreciate that. Hey, on the last podcast, we talked about leading at home, part one, and we discussed the significance of family leadership, leadership in those most important relationships in our lives, and we gave many reasons, supporting reasons why leadership in your family is paramount and why it's foundational. And we gave many, many examples of that. And so today I want to continue in part two on this series, Leading at Home. And uh, it really stemmed from a listener that listened to one of our podcasts and said, I'd never really considered how my marriage and my parenting was that kind of leadership. But it is. And today we're going to talk about part two of Leading at Home. So today on part two of uh, Leading at Home, episode 209 of our podcast, I want to talk about different types of family leadership. There are three types, authoritative, democratic, and servant that I've identified. And I want to share what those are with you and some strengths and weaknesses. Let me give you a little background of myself and uh, do I have a platform, any kind of credibility to talk about this subject of leading at home. I was raised in a blended family. My mom and dad were divorced when I was in my very, very early age. My mom remarried when I was in early elementary, stayed married to my stepdad through my late 20s, and then they divorced. My mom and my stepfather have both passed away, as well as my biological father have passed away. I have three kids. My oldest is 30, married, uh, twin girls, and they're a fantastic family. I have my next youngest is 29. My daughter's married with uh, her first child born earlier this year. And then my third uh, surprise baby, amazing young man, he'll be 18 next month. So I've been a dad for 30 years. I became a dad at 21. I was born again Christian at 19, uh, got married at 21. That's right. My, I was 22 when my 22 when my son was born, 23 when my daughter was born. So I've been at this leading a family for quite a long time. And I had a lot of charisma, I had a lot of zeal, I had a lot of idealism, and I had a tremendous amount of ignorance. I didn't know anything about parenting. I didn't really know anything about marriage. 
Any premarital counseling we got was simply a compatibility test, which was an evaluation where me and my, at that time, fiance answered questions. We turned them into the, to the pastor marrying us, and he said, yep, you're compatible. And that was it. No discussions about connection, intimacy, sexual intimacy, parenting, in-laws, money, finances, conflict resolution, enjoyment, hobbies, your background, your history, what baggage you're bringing into the marriage. None of that. So I don't know that I was set up to really succeed in family leadership. I don't blame anyone. It just is what it is. And so over the years of being married now, 31 years, being a Christian, 33 years, being a dad for 30 years, there's some things I believe I can say about family leadership from a place of experience and from a place of wisdom. So let me talk about these three types of family leadership. You need to discover your unique family leadership style, whether it's gently you know, guiding like a mentor or you're engaging like a democratic leader or maybe you're more nurturing like a servant leader, whatever it is, I want to help you identify what your family leadership style is so you can know its strengths. Maybe you can identify some of its weaknesses. And maybe you even want to evolve your leadership style or maybe you create kind of a hybrid leadership style. So let's talk about the first one. Different types of family leadership. Style number one is the authoritative family leadership style. Now, an authoritative family leadership is characterized by a strong clear parental figure who is going to put in place rules and expectations while also maintaining open communication and a uh, sensitive responsiveness to their children's needs. Uh, let me share with you some key, that sort of a definition, some characteristics of, a, of an authoritative family leadership style would be obviously clear rules and expectations are established. Parents are, are firm uh, often a firm, firm tone, firm discipline, firm boundaries, firm expectations, not a lot of wiggle room. Uh, parents can leave some room for open dialogue and communication uh, between parents and children. Authoritative uh, family leadership style provides guidance and support for their children's growth and development. The strengths of this style is that you provide structure and consistency for the family. People know what to expect from you, and they know what's expected from them because of the clarity and the value for the rules. Uh, a strength is that you encourage high standards of behavior and achievement, and you promote a sense of security and stability. There are definite weaknesses. I, I, don't, have a, I don't particularly lean towards the authoritative family leadership style. Matter of fact, of the three that we'll talk about, it's probably my least favorite. And I think one that, that is most long-term could be a damaging, not abusive. I mean, an authoritative leadership style, none of these are abusive. If we're moving into abuse, that's not family leadership. That's abuse, something totally different. And uh, we're not talking about that. But of these three, it is my experience, my, my feedback, my, my working with families for 20-plus years that the authoritative family leadership style is the least effective. It's the least fruitful. You produce children that know how to obey the rules, but don't always know how to manage themselves in a culture of freedom. And so they may do great at home while the rules are in place and, and uh, consequences are in place and everybody knows what's expected of them. The hope is that you've developed a rules-based character 
Now, I haven't, sometimes that works. Not always does it work when they leave the home and head off for college or maybe a summer camp, and you wonder why suddenly your your child or your, your grandchild or your godchild or your foster child, whatever the case may be, doesn't know what to do with their freedom. So the weaknesses of an authoritative family leadership style is that you can be perceived as controlling, if not balanced with responsiveness. And I would actually say most authoritative, at least that I've seen, family leadership styles, it's not that they're perceived as controlling, they are controlling. And the weakness of this is that it struggles with adaptability and changing circumstances. That we're not producing Stepford children, robotic children. Uh, Children are so unique in their personality, in their birth order, in their experiences, and how they process what is happening in their life. Another weakness of the authoritative uh, family leadership structure and model is high expectations can lead to pressure and to performance on children. And so we develop children that know how to perform well, again, but children that don't know how to manage failure and to deal with their own sense of growing integrity, that know how to manage conflict, that know how to bounce back from toxic shame, that know how to um, uh, appropriately live with transparency and vulnerability. Again, from my experience of working with families, and it's an unfair generalization, but it's pretty much statistically true from my experiences, again, only my experience I can speak from, is that authoritative family leadership structures have a perception of being well-behaved, well-managed children, but all we're really getting is a family that knows how to behave the rules better than other families. So let's talk about the second family leadership style. This is the democratic, what I call the democratic family leadership style. We define this as a leadership style that involves shared decision-making and open communication among family members. Uh, A democratic family leadership style values the input and opinions of all family members in the decision-making process. In sharing that definition with you, it reminded me something in the authoritative family leadership style. So let me bounce back to that for just a second. Oftentimes, and I think this is worthy of your consideration and my consideration, if you feel like too much of your family leadership comes from the authoritative um, paradigm, is that we're authoritative in our family leadership style because either A, it's what was role modeled for us, so we don't know any other style, uh, B, there's a, a deeply embedded fear or fears, multiple fears, and so the fears behave in controlling ways. And so we are authoritative mainly because we're afraid of something. And we won't take time to consider what that fear is, name the fear, and then find what do we need to overcome and displace that fear so we lead our families from a place of of love, security, safety, but also assertiveness. I mean, healthy family leadership isn't a pushover, and you're not trying to be everyone's friend. You're the parent. You're the leader. But you want to give the type of family leadership that empowers your family, helps build healthy identity and responsibility, maturity, uh, community. They know how to do people skills and protect relationships, those kinds of things. All right. Back to the democratic family leadership style. Key characteristics of of this uh, style is the family decisions are made collectively with input from everyone. So people start to recognize they have a voice and that their voice matters. There's a focus on equality and fairness among family members. 
the danger of this, <coughs> excuse me, the danger of this is that everyone thinks their voice is equal, and it's not. While my children have a voice, their voice is not equal in authority or wisdom as mine. It depends on the decision we're making. If it's about whether we buy this house or that house, or whether we invest in this place or that place, not too interested in their voice. If it's about where we go eat and where we want to go have fun, yeah, their voice matters a lot. If it's about their education and their growing sense of maturity and responsibility, their education at kindergarten, first grade, second grade is much less. But I value their input at high school, sophomore, junior, seniors, because there's a tremendous amount of maturity that they've attained, hopefully, (laughs) should have, by the time they reach, you know, upperclassmen in high school versus the early elementary years, just as an example. Uh, Another key characteristic is that each family member has a say in the matters that affect the family. Again, there's a scale for these things, and you have to determine how you want to navigate that scale. Everything from where do we go eat tonight to I have a job opportunity in another city, do we take it? The strengths of the democratic family leadership style is that it fosters a sense of ownership and responsibility among family members. The values you devalue, you you prioritize, you you um, appreciate the diverse perspectives and opinions that you're going to get from the family members and friends that you're talking to. And a strength is that you promote strong communication and collaboration. These are valuable skills for people skills, leadership skills, self-care skills, self-management skills as our children get older. The weaknesses of a democratic family leadership style is that decision-making can be time-consuming, especially for major decisions because you need to get input from so many people. And you want to consider that input and be thoughtful about that input. And if you're a person of faith, maybe even pray about that input. Another weakness is that conflict resolution may be challenging if a consensus cannot be reached. So this is, I like to say it this way, that It is a single-head leadership. If you're married, it would be the two of you as a single-head leadership with plurality of input. So you want a consensus and you want plurality of input and you want everyone to know that their voice matters, but it really is singular head in its decision-making process. And the last weakness of the democratic family leadership style is that it may not be effective in emergencies or when quick decisions are needed. So these are the kind of things that you need to think about if you fall in the category of a democratic family leadership style. The third family leadership style is the servant family leadership style. I'm not, as I said earlier, an advocate for the authoritative family leadership style. I just believe in the long run, it's not going to really help you raise your family, raise your children, invest in your friends and others, your marriage, etc., the way that you want long term. In the democratic family leadership style, a danger that you can fall into is that you try to become everyone's friend. And so this is where you have to balance the tension between singular head decision making with the plurality of input from everyone that is involved in these processes. Again, there's a scale on that from something as simple as where does the family want to go eat on a Friday night to I have a job opportunity in another state. Do we take it? And what are all the implications of that for the family? Uh, Yeah, you may talk about that with the family, 
but the kind of weight you put on their input may not be as much as if they decide they want to go have pizza or burgers on a Friday night. The third family leadership style is the servant family leadership style. There are two other episodes in our podcast library I would encourage you to maybe consider. Episode 163, episode 169. These two episodes are going to talk about this idea also of servant family leadership style. Now, let's define this. A servant family leadership style centers on the well-being and needs of family members. The leaders in this style, they prioritize serving and supporting their family members fostering a sense of care and community within the family. Personally, I look for a hybrid between the democratic family leadership style and the servant family because I love giving everyone a voice and teaching about collaboration, communication, protecting connection, but I also have a very high value for serving and for prioritizing that and supporting other family members as they emerge into their own interdependence as an adult. The key characteristics of this leadership style is that leaders focus on empathy and compassion and the well-being and needs of the family members are prioritized. We do not allow business, busyness, professionalism to become more important than our family. There's also a culture of support and care within the family, a tremendous amount of cross-pollination of compassion and empathy, care, support, and collaboration and teamwork are highly valued. The weaknesses, so this is some of the key characteristics. Here's some strengths, some strengths. This will foster a strong sense of empathy and compassion in the family. It'll be evident, it'll be practiced, it'll be demonstrated publicly, and people will admire how much your family loves each other. It prioritizes the well-being of these family members. Uh, Again, people will notice that, and it encourages this culture of support and care. People will notice that, and they'll feel safe around you. They'll feel seen, they'll feel soothed, they'll feel secure around you, and everybody wants that. The weakness is is that it may lack clear direction or authority at times. We're just constantly hugging everybody. We don't actually deal with uh, discipline when boundaries are violated, when values are violated. Decision-making can be slow, again, if consensus isn't prioritized, and you're actually going to struggle to set firm boundaries. And rather than enforcing the rules, enforce your values. Now, I think this is so important because you don't want to, I think rules can have a place. Yes, I'm not anti-rules, but rules are what, rules are behavior that originate from values. And rather than just rules that say, don't do this, don't do that, I learned as a parent, mainly from my wife who taught me this and her expertise in early childhood development, rather than telling your kid what you don't want them to do, why don't you tell them what you do want them to do? You know, I'd often say to Matthew, my active toddler, when he was very young, running through the house, Matthew, don't run with that. Matthew, don't run with that. Matthew, don't do this. Matthew, don't do that. Sarah, don't do this. Sarah, don't do that. And instead, what would have been more helpful is to tell them what I want them to do. Matthew, walk through the house. Matthew, this. Sarah, that. Luke, this. And so, you know, I'm not anti-rules, but the rules need to be a manifestation, an embodiment, if, if you will, of the values that are so important to our family. Now, these leadership styles are not mutually exclusive. Families may exhibit a combination of these over time. As you mature as a family leader, your style may change over time as well. Let me just share with you a personal story to kind of wrap up our time together today. When my oldest, Matthew, was getting married 10 years ago or so, nine years ago, uh, I am a pastor, but I didn't want to officiate his wedding. I just wanted to be a dad, so I'm sitting on the front row, and I'm watching my son communicate his vows to his bride-to-be. 
I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner or why I didn't have this aha moment sooner, but I had it that day on the front row of his wedding. And as I'm watching him share his vows and make his commitments and declarations to his wife-to-be for the rest of his life, God willing, may God help that be true, I realized I wasn't raising a son. I was raising a father. I was raising a husband. Had I known that earlier, I think I would have done a lot of things different in my family leadership style. Luke, who's 11 years younger than his brother Matthew, has benefited from that aha moment. Because I realized when Luke was 8, 9, 10 years old, I'm not raising a son. I'm raising a father. I'm raising a future husband. I'm raising a future leader. And so family leadership style matters, beloved friends, because You're not just raising children or investing in your siblings. You're raising future leaders, future business leaders, future firemen, future IT, future engineers, future CPAs, future business owners, future stay-home moms or stay-home dads. You're raising future fathers, husbands, wives, mothers. Think about that in your family leadership style. Hey, next time we'll pick this up with part three talking about leading by example and communication and different subjects like that. Hey, love you guys. Thank you for listening, everybody, to episode 209. I'll talk to you soon. 